morning. Welcome to the rewrap for Friday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast on News Talk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB. And uh, this morning, at Auckland Airport, it hasn't got any better. Uh, Simon Bridges has got a bit better. Uh, he's agreeing with Mike up at Waitangi. We'll mark the week. It's Friday. It's what we do, even though we weren't here yesterday. And we've got a bit of a Trump date for you. But before any of that, uh, the Gary Stead going on holiday in the middle of the cricket season. What does Mike make of all that? Well, what's ultimately far more important than these specifics is the overarching theme and attitude. If you want to work to live, then you're not an elite player, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you live for Fridays, hate Mondays, dream of days off, throw sickies, then you're not destined for the top. The top, whatever field that may be in, demands certain characteristics, and not showing up at critical times isn't one of them. Being at the top carries responsibilities beyond the job itself. It's the image projected, the standard set, the expectation created. You are the example of what drive, determination and dedication can result in. You are in a privileged position. And your job, apart from the job itself, is to convey to your company or industry or sport or department that you stand for a variety of traits, skills and actions that are be are to be aspired to. It is how you grow and create and expand and innovate and ultimately, the only thing that counts, win. Win, as in the wider sense of the word, the bottom line, the score, the awards, the share price, the acquisition, the election. It's why you turn up. But that's the problem. Turning up is now an issue, apparently. And when it's an issue, even at the highest levels, it speaks to our outlook and what we desire and aspire to. Sadly, it appears to be less and less. Yes, uh, I remember working with Sir Paul Holmes, of course, and he always claimed that the secret to his success was turning up. Uh, which he pretty much always did. There was the odd morning where uh, he nearly didn't, but he usually got there in the end. Uh, now, uh, getting there is tricky if you're going through Auckland Airport sometimes. A uh, bit of carnage uh, with the runway at the moment by the sounds of things. Auckland Airport, I got quite a bit of attention. Was it last year or the year before? I came back from somewhere and I arrived in New Zealand at the gateway to the country and I thought, what a dump. What an absolute dump. And I waited an hour for my bags and the whole thing was a shambles. And I thought, how long is this going on for? Anyway, we eventually got the CEO of the um, the airport on the program because he was aggrieved at what I said. But nevertheless, what came out of that comment and it got a lot of attention was the fact that they appear to be, Auckland Airport, a very good company in terms of paying dividends out to investors. But apart from that, they're useless. Nobody seems to like Auckland Airport, uh, nor the punters, not the punters, not the airlines. And I referred this, of course, yesterday for the second time in two weeks over the busy holiday period. They're closing the thing just out of the blue to repair the runways. And you ask yourself, what the hell is going on? How is it possible that you can run a business successfully? No one argues it's not a successful business, hence the dividends to the investors. And you are a monopoly, of course, so you have a natural advantage. It's the gateway to the country. And uh, basically, if you want to arrive in New Zealand, you arrive largely, especially internationally, into Auckland Airport. And I couldn't help but think about this because I was in Changi and Singapore over the Christmas period. And Changi, year in, year out, is voted the best airport in the world. And you can see why. You only need to be there three and a half minutes and you can see why. And you compare it and contrast it to Auckland Airport. And you can the contrast is stark. And, and what I don't understand is why the people who run Auckland Airport don't just hightail it to Changi, grab themselves a stool, sit there, look, soak it up, work out what they're doing and what you aren't, then come back and implement it here. And I guarantee you that will be the end of closing the airport on the spot to bring out a concrete mixer and fix a runway. It's an embarrassment to this country. And they need to pull their finger out and get their act together. I feel a little bit sorry for Auckland Airport in that it can't compete with some of these larger inter- international airports, your Changis and so forth. 
because you know they can just they they actually do close whole bits of their airports, but you don't notice because they're so massive. You know, they just use a different runway. There aren't that many runways. I don't know if you've noticed at Auckland Airport. There's your problem, isn't it? You got no redundancy. Can we get that happening? Maybe. What's um, Bridges back up now that um, the Maori Party have said they won't go with them? Uh, he hasn't really made a lot of friends at Waitangi, I don't think. Apart from Mike Hosking. I've got some good news for Simon Bridges, and he did the right thing yesterday at Waitangi. One, uh, he said the Maori electorate should go, and I don't know why he doesn't do it, or why they didn't do it. Uh, and he says the Waitangi Tribunal should go as well, and not a moment too soon. If you follow the Waitangi Tribunal, short of Ngāpui, which is the big one that's not settled and hasn't been. And to be perfectly frank, I don't think ever will be because you need the two parties to agree, or in Napui's case, the 800 parties that make up Napui to agree, and they never will. They haven't, and many of them, I suspect, in there don't actually want to. They like grievance more than they like resolution and results. And so Andrew Little, who I think at Waitangi explained that it had been some of the most interesting, lovely and productive discussions of his entire life, so it doesn't take much to excite him because it's gone exactly nowhere. So apart from that particular claim, the Waitangi Tribunal's job is done. And so what do they do with themselves all day? Well, they start, you'll have known lately, activism. And they start making suggestions and putting forward ideas of how we can change the country. And so the sooner they get wound up, the better. And Simon Bridges would do very well to campaign on that. Yeah, when you hear that sort of stuff, I do wonder if Simon Bridges is just listening to the show and going, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do what Mike says. Um, that worries me a little bit, given the, the amount of nonsense that we talk on our show. But anyway, stuff like Marking the Week, for example. Time now to Mark the Week. The little piece of news in current events that's as popular as an Aro Valley rental for under 600 bucks. Donald Trump ate. It was all bullshit. About as good a week as you could possibly want launching into election year and acquittal from the farce of a trial, the highest approval ratings yet, a State of the Union speech spruiking a purple economic patch and an opposition that couldn't, as they say, organise a three-car funeral. Nancy Pelosi won. The ripping up of the speech encapsulates all that's wrong with them. Hate doesn't get you votes. Pete Buttigieg, nine. Against remarkable odds, through sheer eloquence, brain power and desire, he's made himself not just credible, but a serious contender. Here's the democratic story of the campaign so far, don't you think? Waitangi Day 7 seems to have called its jets up north. The fury is replaced for most of us by a day off in summer, which is what a national day should be. Simon Bridges, 8. G'day, Mike. Ruling out New Zealand first and calling time on the Waitangi Tribunal as he did yesterday, that is common sense. Middle New Zealand talk. More, please. David Seymour, seven. Ruling out going to Waitangi because it's full of bickering politicians. That is common sense. Middle New Zealand talk. More, please. Gary Stead, three. How's it? Would have been lower if it hadn't been for the fact he apparently wanted to actually do his job. It's just his employers insisted he not coach when they need a coach. Brexit, nine. Last Saturday at midday, slice of history, hard won by a Prime Minister who showed what determination and not wavering gets you by way of reward, not to mention political kudos. House prices, eight. Off we go. We love houses. We love houses when the value rises and the market is buoyant, don't we? Tesla, seven. Uh, the seven, by the way, is for the price. It's through the roof. It's up over 100% this year. It's hotter than palladium. Tesla, three. Uh, the three is for those who honestly think the seven can last and is built on anything more than hot air and speculative insanity. Face masks, one. Yet another reminder that reality and insanity are two very separate things, and the latter drives our emotion more than the former, which has got to be a worry. Old people on e-bikes. Six. I mean, I like the idea of being fit and exercising in fresh air, but 
sort of defeats the purpose if you fall off, which ACC tell us this week is happening a lot. Auckland Road Works Zero. The city is run by idiots, arrogant, ideologically driven buffoons. The city is at gridlock. It is dysfunctional. It is unpleasant. It is inefficient. Everyone hates the delays and the frustration and the clowns who thinks it'll fix anything, yet they don't care. A peanut pills, nine. A pill to fix peanut allergies. Hella frickin' luya. The scourge of the playground and lunchbox is over, praise be. And that is the week copies on the website. And if you print this, by the way, off 18 times, staple it in the top left-hand corner, you can then pretend you're Nancy and tear it up. Yeah, that was a bad look uh, for Nancy. Very petulant. Um, Mind you, today Trump came out and basically... um, I'm really struggling not to use uh, foul language here, but he just went on and on and on for over an hour about how awesome he is and how horrible the Democrats. Here's a taste of it anyway. Trump's rebelling in it. We first went through Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all bullshit. (laughs) We then went through the Mueller report. And they should have come back one day later. They didn't. They came back two years later after lives were ruined, after people went bankrupt, after people lost all their money. People came to Washington to help other people. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I say. They came, one or two or three people in particular, but many people. We had a rough campaign. It was nasty. It was one of the nastiest, they say. They say Andrew Jackson was always the nastiest campaign. Uh, They actually said we topped it. It was a nasty, it was a nasty both in the primaries and in the in the election. But you see, we thought after the election, this could go on for a long, long time. I wouldn't be surprised if he's here after lunch. But nevertheless, you can uh, get the sense he's been waiting to say it for quite a while, hasn't he? Now, usually, I watch Trump and I'm sort of mildly amused. a bit disappointed that you know he's in charge of us but then there are occasional days like today where I actually get really really angry because he is such a low rent no class little boy and he's in charge of us on that rather depressing note sorry I didn't end with a laugh Um, I am Glenn ZB Uh, That was the re-wrap. I'll try and get in a good mood over the weekend. I'll be back with more on Monday. See you then.